0: Hello, everyone. This is Matt Ferret, author of the Prepare for Medicare book series, and welcome to another episode of The Matt Ferret Show, where I interview insiders and experts to help light a path to a successful retirement. If you're listening to this, put a face with a voice. I've got a YouTube channel, and you can find it on the show homepage at themattferretshow.com, or just search for it on YouTube. Thanks in advance for liking, following, and subscribing everywhere you're listening and watching. We've all heard this term caregiving, and for each of us, it likely conjures up different thoughts and emotions. Oxford Dictionary defines caregiving as the activity or profession of regularly looking after a child or a sick, elderly, or disabled person. But the phrase is more commonly used for services or people taking care of family members who are not children. Formal caregivers refer to companies, franchises, and even the entire underground, off-the-radar network of informal, even sometimes under-the-table companies providing caregiving services in exchange for money. But by far, the vast majority of this country's more than 43 million caregivers are unpaid spouses, partners, family members, friends, and neighbors involved in assisting others with activities of daily living and or medical tasks. Don't forget what constitutes caregiving isn't normally covered by insurance plans, Medicare, Medicaid, and are really only partially covered by long-term care insurance. Be sure to check out episode 10 of the Matt Ferret Show for a comprehensive overview of long-term care insurance. The Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association estimates the annual economic impact of both types of caregiving across these channels is estimated at $264 billion. Yes, I said annual, and yes, that means per year, which is absolutely astounding. But this episode isn't really about the macroeconomics of caregiving. The mental and physical strain on caregivers and their families, those billions of dollars, don't measure, is the focus of this episode of The Matt Farratt Show. Charlotte Biala is my guest today. Charlotte is a caregiver. She's going to give us an insider's view into her caregiving journey, how to prioritize yourself. Your family, your activity, your mental well being, and your physical health. She's used yoga, meditation, and other caregiver outlets along the way, and now she's helping other caregivers across the country navigate formal caregiving, informal caregiving, and everything in between. Enjoy. Charlotte, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Matt, for having me. I really appreciate being able to have this conversation with you.
0: Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I, I know already. Uh, so <laughs> caregiving, that's what we're talking about today. Very serious topic and um, a topic for millions and millions of Americans and one that's not often discussed m- many places. Uh, yes. It's kind of this silent uh, underground Facebook group website. <laughs> um, I mean you know this, so I'll be quiet. You tell your story. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. You know, about almost 10 years ago, everything, we were just living a normal life as a family with, you know, my husband and I and our daughter um, just having fun. And um, it was around Christmas time when he, my husband started not to feel well and he noticed that there was a lump on his neck. So the doctor right away um, had him come in and checked him out and said, you know, I really think that we should have this lump biopsied and by the end of the week. So it was in between Christmas and new year's that year. um, He found out that he had thyroid cancer. For me, it just felt like this was an assault on our family because automatically there were so many things that I didn't know that, um, and I'm a research person. So I'm like, what does that mean? What, what do you mean? And what do we need to do? And how do we fix this? And, you know, there's never really any answers, especially in the beginning. So we um, went through the process. He finally in February that next year had his thyroid removed and they had found that all, almost all the lymph nodes on the right side of his neck also needed to be removed because it had left his thyroid and gone into his lymphatic system. And it was just a matted mess. That was like the scientific term that the doctors told us. Um, and so when that happens with thyroid cancer, the, what normally happens is it, you're not hundred percent free of having cancer because it has already spread. So then what happens after that is you try to stop the spread. You try, you know, they did um, radioactive iodine therapy, um, which in itself is crazy because you're basically trying to radiate whatever's left by taking this massive pill and um, isolate. And then, you know, over the past 10 years, it's just been, some years there've been multiple surgeries. We've been a couple of years where it has, where we've been free of surgery, but they basically, you spend the rest of your life combating it by taking, you know, high levels of of thyroid hormone and then picking it out whenever it gets too big. So you can live with thyroid cancer, but it is not easy living
0: uh you you're not and for you know someone who's not watching this just listening to this you you're not 60 uh um, no. no you this is this happened when you guys were young
1: yeah it was you know i was just 35 i want to say 37 yeah so and how and old was he he was 40 so he was young yeah yeah this is not and and a lot of times I mean, technically, papillary thyroid cancer is a slow growing cancer. So, um, but he does have an aggressive subvariant of it. Um, so that's why, if someone who's older is diagnosed, there's kind of a wait and see and watch things because it does grow slow. But when you have it so early in life, um, you know, then you're being told basically that we're gonna, this is going to happen for forever.
0: So you explained a little bit what you went through emotionally mm-hmm. at the time of diagnosis and then went into, and maybe this was self-protect mode, but then you <laughs> went into like, well, I did research and I found it out and we started attacking it, which is
1: yeah, good yeah. and noble
0: and awesome. But I have to imagine the ups and downs of those first months, yeah, years, what was that like?
1: You know, in the very beginning, it it... At the time I was actively full-time teaching as a yoga and meditation teacher. Um, and as soon as I found out that he had cancer, I lost my ability to be able to care for myself. So, you know, me teaching actively teaching people daily, how to breathe, how to relax, how to reduce, reduce stress that I that actually helped me because it made me have to disconnect from what I was doing, what I was doing in the rest of my life, right? All the worry, all of the stress, because to teach a class, I had to focus, right? But then the other 23 hours of the day, I spent all my time either trying to control by researching and trying to seek information or was spending the rest of my time worrying, but to a massive level where, I would say within the first two months, it became an issue so much so that I contacted my doctor and explained to her what was going on. And and I told her, you know what? I'm like, I'm really worried about my mental health. And she said, my first suggestion would be for you to meditate. And I got so angry because for me to have that tool already, me teaching other people, um, how to do this thing that my doctor suggests that I do. Um, I was like, I can't believe that I already, I already had the habit, but finding out that my husband had cancer kicked me off the chair so hard that all I could think of, it was self-preservation. Like how do I keep my family intact? So for me, those first, the first six months were hard because I had to somehow learn how to go back to prioritizing myself to not be just a caregiver to my husband, but also his wife and his friend and have a stable household for my daughter, you know, trying to keep it all together um, and not wanting to let everything, anything fall through the cracks, you know, that was, that was the lie that I tried to live for a while because I was like, I got this, like, we're just going to do it. And I just went all in. Um, but there's only so long caregivers can do that for, you know, it just starts to fall apart.
0: And you said it took you six months before you kind of came above the waterline and took a breath. Yeah. Yeah. What, what spurned you to, you know, swim for the surface and, and, uh, and get your nose and mouth above water?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, my husband, I've known my husband since I was in high school, like we grew up together. Um, and so we, in, up until the time that he found out that he had cancer, we had spent the majority of our lives together and enjoying life. And so I was confronted with this period of time where after I got over the fear, after I controlled the worry, I realized that we weren't really living the way that we would want to. Like There there wasn't a good balance in life. Um, We weren't enjoying life in spite of what was happening. And so I think it was the two of us together without talking about it. Like we didn't have a family meeting and say, all right, this has been a sucky six months. Now we're just going to flip the switch and, you know, roll over into the way things used to be. But I think we just instinctually, since we really enjoyed spending time with each other, like we came back to that fairly quickly um, and had to work hard at choosing to see things as positively as we could but without being a rose-colored glasses type of couple like we are the most sarcastic group that you can probably like (laughs) we are not everything's rosy like I'm not even that type of yoga teacher so um we were just like this isn't gonna break us like we're gonna we're gonna have to live with this and so we're gonna have to figure out how to do it
0: I mean, and you've said this, and I definitely want to get into this, the yoga and the meditation uh, Mm -hmm. teacher, not even just a practitioner, just like you're teaching this stuff. Um, And I want to hear a lot more about that. But looking back to those first six months, Mm -hmm. what would you, for people listening and or watching, what would you urge someone to do faster or differently? Uh, or, or, you know, more slowly than you did for six months. If if right now they're listening or watching going, I'm right there.
1: I think the first thing, once you have an, an opportunity for everything to slow down enough for you to realize what's actually happening is for someone who's just become a caregiver or even someone who's been a caregiver for years and just still feels like this is to realize that when something happens to your loved one when they find out that they have a disease or they've become disabled, that changes their life and it changes your life. And the problem is that if you continue to try to live your life the way you did before you became a caregiver, you will constantly be battling against these ideals that you have um, for what life happiness means to you um, that aren't there anymore you become a different person as soon as you hear those words. And so if there is a way that you can kind of mourn the loss of the person that you were and fully accept this change um, in your role in life, in your role between you and the person that you care for, right? Because it could be your, your wife has breast cancer. She's the one that used to always handle things in the household, the roles are now switched where you have to. So there's a lot of change. So first is to understand that your life has changed. Um, and then the second one I would say first is just learn how to breathe. Like meditation is important. Um, yoga and moving or running, however you like to be physical is important, but if you're scared of the quiet which is meditation and yoga, right? If you're scared of the emotions, the thoughts, the feelings that will come up, if that makes it difficult, what I would say is to learn how to truly breathe because that's something that you can do when you're waiting in a waiting room, when you're walking down a hall, when you're waiting at a return line in a store and you're just frustrated. I find that learning how to use my breath in order to calm my nervous system is by far the one tool I would never give up.
0: So beyond prescription drugs and beyond, (laughs) uh, you know, running a marathon, um, breathing.
1: Breathing, deep breathing, like not breathing to keep you alive. That's what we do all day long, right? We have to breathe in order to live. Um, What we do when we breathe normally is not sufficient to allow your body to understand that you're you're safe. It's basically, you're running on autopilot, your body knows you have to breathe to stay alive, and so it does the minimum that it needs to. When you become stressed, if you notice, your breath becomes a lot shallower, it'll come a lot quicker. Let's say you're getting news in a doctor's office and you're anticipating that it's gonna be bad, like you can hold your breath, So the more stressed out you are, the less breathing you do. And when you do that, your body instinctually is thinking there's something wrong. I need to do everything to protect this body. And so your nervous system starts to go into this fight or flight mode. But if you're able to find yourself in that place and take even just five deep breaths, like, letting go of your belly, just like breathing like a baby would while it's sleeping. um, You would notice that you feel so much better in just those five breaths.
0: And did you forget how to do that? Did you? Oh, you hold your breath a lot.
1: Yeah. 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 (laughs) Like (laughs) I forgot how to do everything. It was like, my mind was wiped clean of all knowledge I had of things that I could do to help myself because a hundred percent of my energy went into trying to keep my husband alive as if I had that power and trying to keep life as normal as possible for my daughter. Nothing else mattered at that point. And so anything that I did for myself was not even an afterthought. It just wasn't there. Even with me teaching regularly, I saw that as that was my job, like that, that completely switched to, I have to go to work. How am I going to get to work? How am I going to work and not cry through a yoga class? Right. So the focus was how can I do that? And, and I would go in and leave as quickly as possible. So it was what I did to try to continue with my responsibilities in my house and outside at work.
0: So before we move on to six months plus, I want to, yeah. Let's talk. You said family. You said daughter. Um, extended family. Yeah. Um, What was? Did you? Did they help? Did they not? Did they know what to do? I mean,
1: right? Has
0: anyone done this before? Did they move in? Did you not want them to move in? And your daughter, she's in school. Yeah. What was? I mean, talk about. uh, What was that all like?
1: Yeah, we um didn't live near family at the time. Um, we were in Wisconsin. And our family was scattered in between um, Pennsylvania and Puerto Rico and Florida. And so the thing is, we had, as soon as we got married, we moved away from home. And so I think that was a good thing because we, we grew up as adults together and didn't have the opportunity to kind of have that to fall back on, to have family nearby. There are pros and cons to that. I think, you know, we could think of pr- lots of pros and cons just sitting back depending on where <laughs> you are on that spectrum. But um, so at, we jumped in not expecting any help except for when he needed to have his thyroid removed. That first surgery, um We had his parents come in and then my sister came in. And so that way we could have my daughter go to school, um, have people to support her at home and then have a little support when my husband and I came back because he was in the hospital almost a week and I never left the hospital during that time. So to know that my daughter was supported and she was being cared for um, Was really the biggest help that we could have. And then we had a lot of friends that really stepped in in the beginning. Um, the hard thing with caregiving, though, especially for caregivers who are going to be caregivers long term, is that that help, like people love to jump in and help. People from his office, you know, did, um, we didn't have things like Grubhub like 10 years ago, like you couldn't really order, but they, um, They brought meals and they organized that, um, those things happen for max a month. If you're lucky after that, it gets a little difficult if you're expecting it, right? If you're, if you just see that as gravy, like, oh my goodness, thank goodness. I don't have to cook today. Someone just brought a lasagna. Like that's the best way to look at it. Um, I think that some caregivers have family in town, And those family members don't help the way they would expect them to. And that causes them more pain than than if they didn't have those people in town. So I can't say that not having family in town was a good or bad thing. I know they showed up when we needed them to, though.
0: What's your advice then for caregivers that you were in the situation and you had family out of town, but even friends and and office workers? What is the right thing to do? How do people know? It's not... You know, I think there's a, a prescription for when someone dies. Right. right? There's there's yeah. a funeral, there's a wake that you bring the lasagna over, and right. And then you know you maybe have a pony keg and a party or a very somber you know memorial service, whatever you do, and then it's kind yeah. of over. And then you check in right. every once in a while, and then it's done. But this is different. This is a long term mm-hmm. thing. What's your advice to caregivers right now that have extended family, and I don't even care if it's close or far.
1: Yeah,
0: like is it lower your expectations or be very clear with your expectations? What what should the caregiver say or do or handle or think about their family either yeah. you know near or far?
1: I would say don't be passive about asking for the help that you need. No matter if it's your family, if it's friends or if it's because you need to have it contracted out, you need to know, I can't cook for the next 2 weeks. I need help with meals. And you find one, the people that you know, that are actually people who like to cook that gives that person an opportunity to shine in what they actually know how to do and like doing. And they're able to do it and help someone at the same time. Like you have to, you have to see what thing can you ask a person to do that will benefit them? It sounds weird it shouldn't have to benefit them. But if you want them to really show up and do that thing that you need them to do, it, if they have a, more of a, of a why to do it, they're gonna be more apt to do it, right? Um, so if you have family, it doesn't matter. If you just have people that you know in town, um, you need to be very clear on what you need help with. And you need to realize that whatever you're gonna ask for, Is not too small. So if you're like, you know, I would, I need to order groceries. I'd really love for someone to pick them up. But, you know, I don't really think that I can do it, right? All those little things that you're like, well, whatever, I can do it. I don't have to ask someone to do it. Those pile up. And then you have a long list of things that you could be asking people to help you with that you're doing all by yourself, just because you don't think that it's a big enough of an ask. It doesn't have to be a big ask. And be very clear that you need the help. On Tuesday, I really need a meal. Can you help me with that? Yes or no? There's no, hey, maybe on Tuesday, if you're up to it, or if you have time. No, not if you have time. Can you do it? Because the thing is, if, you, if you're wishy-washy about it, people are more apt to not follow through. And when people don't follow through on something that they've told a caregiver they can do, automatically, the caregiver will be more inclined to think, oh, well then I'm just going to stop asking for help because people aren't going to show up. The hurt of people not showing up for you is enough for you to reconsider ever asking for help again. So because you're already vulnerable and asking for help for something that you normally would have been able to do, that's, that's hard to do. So if a caregiver asks for help, they're, they've already had to go through this thought process and an emotional process to actually have those words come out of their mouth. So if you don't show up after you've said yes, if they're waiting around at home to make sure that you know where the the lawnmower is, or for you to come help remove snow, um, and you don't show up, you've not only ruined their day, you've possibly put them into this spiral of, I gotta do this all by myself. How am I gonna do this all by myself? I'm asking for help. Like people, t- like I heard Charlotte say, I have to ask for help. I asked for help, they didn't show up. So you have to be very clear. And I personally would say, if that person doesn't show up, you need to advocate for yourself and say, hey, I really, I was waiting for you to come around so I could show you where the lawnmower is. Um, this is what happened. I just want to make sure that we were clear that that today was the day that you were going to come because you know, maybe maybe something happened that you don't know about. But don't just sit around and say, Well, no one's gonna help me. This no, why didn't you show up? I mean, it's so hard to do. It takes so much energy.
0: I was gonna say that takes a lot. I mean, because I think most of us. Oh, okay. I'm going to speak for most of us. I would probably (laughs) just go, Oh, that person didn't want to help. And I was, I was a burden or I was overbearing. Exactly. Shrink back. And I'd never ask him for anything again, either out of embarrassment or out of anger. And you're saying proactively do not do that.
1: Don't do that because this isn't about, they're not, you can't take it personal. If you hired someone to cut your grass and they didn't show up, you would follow up and say this was my assigned day. I was waiting because I had to let you in or whatever. If you have someone who's going to clean your house and they don't show up and you have to be there for them to do that, then you would have no problem complaining about it, right?
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. So, if there's a family or friend that that says, "Hey, I'm going to come help you clean. Let's, you know, get all the cleaning supplies together." And and I'm going to show up and you wake up that day and you get everything ready. And then they don't show up, not just show up, not show up and not tell you they're not going to be there. Right. That's unacceptable. And I think the thing is, since we're asking for things that are abnormal for us to ask for, like before caregiving, we would not have asked for that help. Um, We take it really personally Um, not only the person not showing up or not showing up the way we'd like them to, but just the fact that we have to ask. It's an emotional thing to ask for help. But here's the important thing. If you try to do it all, you will fail. There is no way that you can run your life without support and be a caregiver. The stress is too much. Um, The overwhelm can can really start to wear you down. And then what happens is the more stress you are under and the longer amount of time that you're under that stress, the more you're gonna be apt to having your own health issues. And if you have stress-induced health issues like heart disease or diabetes or any of those, those big diseases, um, then who's gonna take care of you, right? Like, if you're taking care of someone, how can you take care of someone if you need help yourself? So for me, if you can try to remove that, it's really personal, which is difficult to do, I understand. But if there could be just a little bit of frustration thrown in there, because you're seeing that it's not just about you, it's about the person that you care for. They're, they're taking from that person then maybe that's enough for you to say, look, Hey, like I need for you to, to help me. You said you were going to, you didn't show up, you know, let's reschedule. Right. And are you actually going to show up this time? Because if not, you need to tell me now, and I just need to find another way to do it. It's hard caregiving is not easy no it that sounds, not easy.
0: that sounds like for a lot of people that would be a change and to advocate for yourself it's not just for yourself but it's for your family it's for your extended right. family because somebody's gonna have to help you with it. If you right. say you're gonna help then 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 help and if not then don't offer like sounds right. like right and then when exactly. when you do make sure you follow make sure you come through and then if yes. you don't come through as a caregiver advocate for yourself.
1: And that's the hardest thing for caregivers to do is to advocate for themselves. For me, that's the hardest thing for me to get a person to do, to say I am worth the trouble to actually stand up for myself, to create boundaries and to do things for myself that I need to do so that in the end, all these things are so that you can be a caregiver long-term, right? So when you start saying, well, I'm not enough, it's not that big of a deal. You're actually taking time away from you being able to just enjoy time with that person that you're caring for.
0: And you mentioned, and I would definitely want to get to this too. So I know I'm putting placeholders in <laughs> meditation, but also the caregiver's physical health. That's mm-hmm. a thing. It's a big thing because I've read uh, in a couple of places where when you're a caregiver, your life expectancy drops, Yes, which is so I I'm I'm going I'm going to do that but
1: mm-hmm.
0: before I do that go 6 months plus because again yeah. you you're a long-term caregiver this isn't a 6 month cancer diagnosis or a 12 right. or an 18 month you said 10 years. Yeah. So if stage 1 is diagnosis and shock, stage 2 is 6 months shock, what are the yeah. other stages and what 6 months plus what yeah. what is that journey like?
1: So long-term cancer caregiving is like riding on one of those rickety old wooden roller coasters. Right. And so, um, stage one is they shoot you right up that Hill and you're screaming all the way. Right. And then that Hill is as long as it needs to take. And then the person will have treatment, um, surgery sometimes it's not six months sometimes a cancer with chemo can be a year right so you're constantly screaming up that hill or anticipating the drop right um but then once i got past that stage which was about six months then it was the roller coaster continued and i could start to see all right you know he was at a three-month interval Of seeing the doctor in the beginning. Um, so that means scans, blood work, um, and seeing the oncologist. And so we would essentially be like, all right, we got a breather. Like we have two and a half months because you know, a half a month before you have to go see the doctor for a recheck, you start to get anxious about it. And so you you start like you, you're you're buckled in and you start going up that roller coaster hill again, and then You know, once you get to the doctor and they give you whatever the recommendation is, either that hill down is really short or it's really long, right? It's, it's like, oh my goodness. Like, you know, you're on a roller coaster. You can't see what's next because the hill is so high, but then you get over that hill and you're like, oh, this is nothing. Like we just dropped a couple of feet or it's, we drop all the way back down and you never know until you're at the top. And that's the problem. So your, your life is never a full balanced, let's just keep living. It's up and down, right? I know he's going to have surgery. Okay. I know I'm going up that Hill. How am I going to handle what, what happens after? Right. And so after the six months, it was falling into trying to just live after
0: uh-huh. that six months, are you always searching for some sort of normalcy? Or at that point, have you been like, okay, this isn't going to be normal? Or are you still um, like, can I just get back to normal? Or, what, right. What's that balance there?
1: The balance is we started to try to find what normal was then, right? So let's say, um, especially like after surgery, like we always loved going to the movies, we loved seeing comedians. Um, But leaving the house wasn't really easy for him. He would get tired a lot. There's, there was just a, you know, thyroid cancer surgery. His was over eight hours long. So there's a lot to recover from. And so what we did was we tried to find, okay, what was it that we liked to do that we can do a different way? And so that just continued. So maybe we didn't go to the movies. Maybe we turned off all the lights, put a movie on TV. It was the intention that we set. So we could have just thrown a movie on and just eh, whatever, watched it. Or what we did was we made it a thing, right? We figured out what we we're gonna watch. We set the intention that this was just gonna be an experience at home instead of being outside of the house. And that's how we kind of went through. Like we would take walks outside. Like we would go do things. Um, we would um, we didn't sit down a lot and talk about How we were feeling, right? And so I think that was because, um, you know, we the three of us live full on. No one is harboring much in my house because if someone's irritated about something or upset or scared, like we talk about it, right? But we don't wear it on our shoulders, right? Like we don't. um, We didn't live like in a cancer house, it's, it's a weird thing. Um, cancer was a thing when we had to, to either go for rechecks or go for surgery and in the in-between time we try to enjoy our lives together. And that might not have been necessarily what I don't think there's ever really any normal. I always see life as cycles, like, you know, And the cycles at that point were however long we had in between doctor's appointments, to tell you the truth. And in between, we just tried to to do the things that we liked doing. And sometimes that changes when your life changes.
0: Talk to me a little bit more about that. Um, How did your, I mean, obviously your relationship, had to evolve over that time, but how did your love evolve or your idea of love 10 years ago and and your journey uh, over the last 10 how did that evolve yeah. what surprised you
1: I think what surprised me the most was how seamless it seemed to be for us to go through this period of just hardship and heartbreak and loss even though there is no loss of life there is loss of just the balance we had in our relationship, um, the loss of of living life relatively carefree. You know, before cancer, if you're in life with cancer, you look back before cancer and you're like, oh my goodness, life was so much easier back then, even though there are probably things that felt hard, right? Um, so I think the what was actually the good thing was that we, were able to kind of sit back and be supported by how strong our relationship was before he had cancer. And I think that's the problem oftentimes when you're a caregiver of someone um, who you're in a relationship with. If your relationship wasn't strong, it, don't expect for it to automatically become stronger when you're under this because You really see how people are when they're under this much stress. We're able to shield the world from that when life is easy, but then when life becomes uncomfortable um, or you feel threatened, you just go into base personality. And so, if you didn't, if if you had issues in your relationship before caregiving, they're going to be exacerbated when you become a caregiver, they're not going to get better. It's going to get harder. And so the problem is then can you work on it? Yes, you should. Because if you're going to stay in caregive long-term, then, then you need to, right? Because if not, if the person, um, was combative or just, you know, verbally abusive, that's not going to get better. So you know, if you weren't working on it before you need to work on it now. So you can't, for us, you can't
0: put, like, it sounds like you can't put your relationship life on pause. You really have right. to say cancer caregiving. And that doesn't mean we can't go to counseling or work on things exactly. together with, you know, with or without a counselor or, or, a, or a pastor or something like that.
1: Yes. Because if, because there's so much more, there's there's so much more happening in your life. There's so much more happening in your relationship. For me, the issue that I had was, I often get hyper-focused on things. And so my focus was on taking care of them. So when I got him home after his first surgery, it was, how is he doing? How How is he healing? What does he need? Um, has he eaten, you know, all of the things that caregivers do? But that I didn't flip the switch often, where then I was like, I'm just gonna sit next to you. We're just gonna hang out, you know, watch TV, laugh, talk, go for a walk. You know, sometimes if we went for a walk, it was because he needed to, like he needed to move. That was the caregiver part of me. That wasn't the, you know, I just want to go for a walk with you. It's how we think about things. And I don't think that. A lot of caregivers, first of all, have the opportunity to stop and say, wait a minute, when was the last time I just was a person with him, you know? Um, And if you asked a caregiver who's very overwhelmed at the moment, they would say, you know what, I don't really care. Like, I'm just trying to keep it together. I just want to, I'm doing all the things that I need to do. I'm washing the clothes. I'm washing the dishes. I'm making sure that they have food. I have to, you know, all these things. When do I have time? To be a wife or a sister or a daughter. Right. And what I realized was it has to happen all the time because what happens is you lose time, right? If you're not mindful of what is happening in your day, you miss them looking at you because they need something. They're scared, right? They need human connection just as much as you do. And just like it's hard to ask for help, it's hard to ask for connection. It's hard to to work towards that because then that's you being vulnerable again, right? And then if it fails, that hurts. And when it hurts, you don't want to do it again. So if that happens, you're in a really bad circle of not connecting with the person that you've given up so much of your life to take care of. And so for me, that's one of the saddest things is for someone to take care of someone be out of love, but not have, have time in a day to actually just love them.
0: How did you figure out? Well, when did you figure out you needed to do that and how did you do it?
1: Yeah. it, It was within that first six months. Like finally, when I kind of like got, got to this place where I was like, wait a minute, this is, this is not working for me at all. This is not fun. I can't keep feeling like crap like this. Um, it was then that I started to kind of take a, take a step back. And, and I actually had to do more for myself in order to see how I was reacting with my world and the people in it. So I needed to take, I needed to catch my breath literally and figuratively. And when that happened, I realized, well, wait a minute. Like I could feel it then. Right. I spent all day doing all these things and I sit I sit down to go to bed and I don't want to talk. Right. And I'm irritated and frustrated. And when I started realizing that, you know, I realized, well, then I'm shutting everybody out because I'm doing everything for them. Right. I can't, I can't do for people, but then not allow myself to actually enjoy being with them because then the hurt that I'm causing is worse than me not doing those things like me not spending time with my daughter and my husband because I have to wash dishes is crap, right? Because that time spent with them is more important than having clean dishes. And the dishes will be washed for sure at some point, but getting that moment back will be forever lost. And so I started realizing that I was missing out on actually being present with the people that I was living with.
0: Do you ever feel like running away?
1: Oh, all the time. Like as soon as <laughs> like, there are so many times I'm like, you know, what if I just left? Right. But not in a, you know, it's weird because there's a lot of things with caregiving that is on un, they're unsaid because people are like, I can't say this. <laughs> people will judge me They'll <laughs> And that's one of the things like I, I don't know a person who's found themselves in deep into caregiving overwhelmed, just feeling like crap and not thinking, even if it's for a split second, if I could just go, if I could just, if I could just go. And sometimes it's not, if I could just run away for forever, it's, I just want to run away for like 10 minutes, you know? Um, So yeah, I think if anyone has been a caregiver for a long time and says that they've never felt that way, they're full of crap. Like there's just no, (laughs) there's just, it is so difficult and I have it relatively easy, right? I'm not changing diapers, I'm not bathing, I'm not moving a person so they don't have bed sores. There's so many people that are in that part of caregiving. Um, I've had it in terms of caregiving, relatively easy comparing, comparing to other people. But I've even had moments where I'm like, crap, this is too much. Because there are times where you're like, life before was so much better, even if it wasn't, right? Life before was so, it's always better, right? Even though when you were in it, you're probably like, this sucks. But when you're looking back, you're like, it was so much better than if only I could just be that person again. And I think it's normal to, I mean, when I was a parent, there were times where my daughter maybe was having a temper tantrum in the middle of a mall. And I was like, if only I could run away right now. Like, I just want to like snap my finger. (laughs) So definitely, if
0: I just leave the stroller here in the middle of the Sears,
1: (laughs) would someone
0: take care of them?
1: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You know, caregiving for me, I, I can see a lot of parallels between caregiving and parenting. But the thing is, when you're a caregiver, you don't have the support that a parent normally has. Um, You don't have, And when I was a a young parent, I had tons of young parents going through the same thing I was going through and willing to talk about it, right? Um, When you're a parent, there's so much doubt. There's so much worry of judgment. um, There's so much you don't know. And there's so much kind of a need to try to act like you do know how to do what you're doing, but you really don't caregiving is the same, but the thing is they're not seen. Like you don't, there's no like visual, like you don't have a baby, you don't have a stroller, you don't have this other kid. Um, And I think that's, what's hard. And so when you feel those things, like, I wish I could just run away. I'm angry. This is my life right now. This isn't what I wanted it to be. um, Those are harder you hide them more. And when you hide things or you keep them to yourself, they have more power. Those feelings and thoughts have more power than just letting them out and telling them to someone.
0: So you've talked a lot about acknowledging all of that, advocating for yourself and really focusing in on your self-care. And again, you've come from, and this is where I'm finally going to get to it, (laughs) uh, which is, I mean, you had, I'll just call it a natural advantage of being a yoga yeah. instructor. And then also sounds like you did a lot of meditation practice and breath control practice even yeah. before this happened. So not everybody has that. Talk mm-hmm. to me about how, how do use that? Why should people listening or watching turn to yoga, meditation, breath control um, to help with that self-care and help with that advocacy and that confidence and to help with those feelings of, Sadness, anger, um, joy, and that roller coaster you talked about.
1: Yeah, I think yoga, meditation, and breath work—the things that are all common with all three of those—is that it first of all gives your op- your body an opportunity to understand that it can it can just let go, right? Um, there are things that happen inside your body just mechanically and and physically. That when you start to breathe deeply and when you start to do things that you're just focused on your breath, it kind of flips your nervous system into this place where it doesn't feel like it has to continually look out for ways to escape, right? And so when you do that, you automatically start to feel better. And and so maybe yoga, meditation, breathing, you know, for someone who doesn't do that, Um, I would say be okay with something being different and trying something new. I've met so many people who are like, uh, yoga is not for me. Meditation is not for me. Breathings. I, I breathe. I don't know why I have to learn how to breathe. Um, I have put people through just a five minute breathing exercise and, who have never breathed before, like other than normal breathing, have never done yoga, have never meditated, just normal people who were caregivers. And when they finished, it always surprises me. It's like, what like keeps me going is the look on their face when I bring them back out of it. And they're like, so that was, I thought you said five minutes. That felt like a half hour. Like, I felt like I just had a nap. It's, it's just so awesome to see how if someone can learn just how to breathe how much better they feel and the problem with caregiving is we we don't feel well right we we don't we and maybe we didn't feel well before we were a caregiver either right i don't know you know some people could have had stressful hectic lives before they became a caregiver um and so for me you know breathing especially is free it's free, you are, it's under your control at all times. So for me, if I can teach someone how to breathe, I can teach them how to find joy in small moments throughout their day. Um, so to try breathing would be the first step. I would say, you know because that's, that's fairly simple. You don't need a lot of instruction to learn how to just do deep breathing. How do I learn
0: how um, to do that? And I, I, you don't you don't need to take me through it right now, but how do I learn that, how to do that? Is that a book? Is that a course? Is that a YouTube video? No, or? It's
1: I mean, I have I have an audio file. It's a five minute, actually, I have a three minute breathing exercise on my Instagram page. Like it doesn't take much. Um But you do, you do need to, like, you can't just be like, all right, I breathed my belly went out and it came back in, like, I'm all good, right? Like there is a process. So if you find, if you could find someone or you can find something that you can listen to, um, that would help. But the whole problem with all this is I could tell you that yoga helps you relax. It helps you connect with your body. It dials you in with how you're feeling. Meditation helps you not only relax and dial in with how you're feeling but it can teach you how to begin to respond to life instead of react right meditation creates resilience so if you're someone who when you find let's say you go to a doctor's uh, appointment with your your person that you care for um and they give you bad news if you're a person that automatically you're, you're stressed, you're overwhelmed, you're flustered, you can't even figure out how to get back home. If you were to begin to meditate on a regular basis, the next time that would happen, you would be a little bit more resilient. You would still get upset. You would still get stressed out, but you wouldn't be so flustered and you'd be able to get back home. And the more you meditate, the better able you are to kind of see what's happening in your life. But allow yourself to take a step back and say, all right, this is what we're going to do instead of breaking down and falling apart whenever anything is thrown at you. So I can tell you all of these things will make your life so much better. Um, It doesn't create happiness per se, but it allows you to have those windows of opportunity to find happiness because you're more aware of yourself and your life it helps you not be your emotions, right? So you come to this place where you don't say, I am sad, I am anxious, I'm stressed. You start to move into, I feel sad, I feel anxious, I feel stressed. And when you can separate yourself from your emotions, you're better able to live your life outside of them, right? Because if you were to wake up in the morning and say, I am so stressed out, you would spend the rest of your day stressed out. But if you can come to a place where you wake up and you're like, well, this is going to be a difficult day. I might feel stressed, but let's see what happens. Um, That's a big change. So I can tell you, you can do all that. Just yoga, just meditation, just breathing. The problem is, is that you have to want it. I can't help someone who's like, I don't need to breathe breathing isn't anything I'm already doing it. All right. Well, I can, maybe we could do a breathing exercise and we can try it out. Um, and if yes, then I'm sure they will see, but you have to want to know, like you have to want better. You have to want more in life than what you have. Um, and you have to be able to put in the work caregiving is work. Um, taking care of yourself is work. And someone can say, I'm too tired to do anything. And my response to that is life is, is hard. We get what we put into it. I want to help you figure out how to make it easy for you to figure out these things because people don't have to be meditators. That's fine. Some people can't sit down for five minutes with themselves in quiet. Like it's too much. It's too noisy in your head. I completely understand that. My husband is not a meditator. As much as I try, he is not. <laughs> like we will not be going on any yoga retreats together. Um, <laughs> but when he's when life gets really hard, I do know that he knows how to breathe. Now I've seen him do it. He won't announce it. I know he does it. I know my daughter does it. They'll roll their eyes when I tell them. But I've seen them secretly (laughs) breathing through things when things get hard. And so I know that it's possible for anyone to learn how to do these things, but you have to be able to say, I'm ready for a change. I want to try something different or like me, I want to go back to doing something that I used to do. That I remember really felt well, like felt good for me to do. I just need to try to find my way back to it. And sometimes all that is, is someone to keep you accountable, someone to help you learn how to do it. Um, for me, I did have that advantage. I knew how to do it. And here's how hard caregiving is. I knew how to do it and I stopped doing it exactly when I needed it. Right. So I get I get that it's difficult um, to do these things for yourself. That's my whole purpose is to let people know, like caregivers know you're not alone because loneliness is a big factor of caregiving. And this is not it. This isn't, this is, don't be resigned to this is the way my life's going to be for forever. Like it can get better. You just have to want it and you just have to be willing to learn and to put a little work into it.
0: How long does it take? I heard pick one. <laughs> if you yeah. can't do all three and they can't do two and don't want to pick one. Don't and go do with all it. Three.
1: Yeah. yeah. Don't ever do all three. For me, I start someone with one thing and you do that one thing until it becomes the thing that you always do. Right. So much is thrown at us. Like you, you see lists online. Here are things caregivers should do to take care of themselves. You should meditate, do yoga journal, um, Do breath work, uh, connect with people, make sure to make yourself a priority. But then it's like, well, how the hell do I do any of that? For me, the most important thing for any caregiver to do is to find that one thing. And that one thing might not be breathing. It might not ever be meditation. It might not be yoga. But if it means that you take 10 minutes in the afternoon and you just sit with a cup of coffee or tea, no computers, no phones, nothing on, no one talking to you, just you and that cup of coffee. Sometimes for me, that's meditation. Just being fully present, not gulping it down, like feeling the cup, looking at the cup, looking at the steam, actually tasting it. Just a moment for your body to say, we're okay. At this, in this present moment, I am okay. I am safe. I'm just going to enjoy this cup of coffee, that, that every day, that's a container. That's like time for yourself. If you can do just that one thing for yourself and try to make it consistent, you'll start to realize that those moments are things that you look for during the day, and that is self-care. It doesn't have to be massages and expensive things. Like it, Self-care is... Taking time for yourself every day where you can just be. Be with yourself, not taking care of anyone, not doing anything with not listening as little out outside input from your world as possible. So you could just focus on one thing. Cause I can tell you, if you focus on that cup of coffee, your breath is not fast. It's not shallow. It's going to be a lot calmer. And it's just happening on its own.
0: Where do I start um, if I want this Mm -hmm. and I don't know which one to start with or I've done yoga and I don't really like it or Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not sure, but I tried one of those meditation apps that, you know, celebrities (laughs) push and I I turned it off after a couple of times. Where do I start? How do I get going?
1: I would say if you're starting on your own, think back to something that you used to enjoy doing before you were a caregiver. Everyone has a thing. Maybe you like to play video games, or maybe you like to color or draw. Maybe you liked to, to make jewelry, or you were someone who used to tinker around in the garage with tools and wood. Um, find that thing that you used to enjoy doing. You might have to go back to childhood, right? I, I don't know. like if if you gave up all of all of the fun things you used to do, Um, when you got married or became an adult, like go as far back as you need to and find that thing that you used to enjoy doing and start doing that again. You need to find a way to remove yourself from what you're hyper-focused on. Caregiving is all encompassing. Like it will just control everything that you do. You just, all you need is to remove yourself from that. So whatever you can do to do that is what you need. It does not have to be the standard thing from a list that you keep seeing. There's no secret, you know, happiness factor in journaling. If you don't like to write, it's, it's not gonna happen. So either find something that you enjoy doing, find your way back to that. Or if you need to be held accountable, if you need someone to kind of be like that backup, like, no, that was wrong. You need to do that for yourself. I can't believe they, they were complaining that you just wanted to sit down and drink a cup of coffee. Like if you need that, then you need to find that person.
0: How do you find that group? I mean, I know they're everywhere. I mean, you've got yeah. Facebook groups, they're local, hyper-local, very broad. There are associations. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, you know, I said in the beginning of the show, this is, uh, uh, I don't know, endemic, pandemic. I know those words get tossed around a lot, but this is <laughs> this is real. These are like tens of millions of people in caregiving pieces. Yeah. Um, and there doesn't seem to be one national association of caregivers that has all the yeah. answers for everybody. Um, right. You know, it's unpaid work. Uh, yeah. People sacrifice careers. They sacrifice travel. What have you found in your 10 years of being a caregiver to be the most helpful?
1: Yeah, I, I think that... Um, finding any way to be in community with people who are going through the same thing, um, with the energy that you that you need in your life, right? So there are some groups out in the world that you can easily connect to that might not be completely positive, right? Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need a place where you can complain. About everything. You just need to just complain and you want to hear complainers. Um, That's not hard to find. It's also not hard to find groups that are positive. Like you have a problem or you have something that you want to just say, and people are there to say, you know what? I hear you. I get it. You know, here's what's worked for me in the past. So that can be on, there's online groups, there's tons of Facebook groups, right? So I would say, try out different groups, different opportunities. There's um, a lot of different local groups that do things. I know here in Minneapolis, we have a a group um, that specifically focuses on on male caregivers and they have virtual get togethers but then they get together in person. There are different kind of places, organizations and nonprofits that are hyper-local and work with caregivers. Um, And then there are just some bigger things. Uh, Some of the cancer organizations have kind of an offshoot caregiver um, subset where they'll have resources. And then so you, they do have groups within that you can, that are moderated. It's, it's the, how is it moderated? And what is the focus? And, and you have to be okay with a group not being okay I would say if you're in a group and at any point you don't feel good about yourself for some reason, or you feel like you can't share the way you'd like to, then find a different group. And I think it's like that. I mean, if you think about therapy, which I suggest all caregivers do for themselves, um, you know, sometimes a therapist just isn't a good fit. I mean, and that's not a personal thing. It's just a thing. And you just move on to the next one.
0: Have you found more value in online National associations, Facebook groups, in terms of uh, your journey, or have you found more value to the local in-person kind of thing, or is it a combo?
1: Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, when I first became a caregiver, Facebook groups weren't a thing. I, I feel so old, but um, <laughs> you make me feel old. <laughs> Facebook groups. I mean, Facebook existed, so I'm not that old, but right. <laughs> Facebook <laughs> groups <laughs> were not a thing. And there weren't a lot of local groups. So when I so-called grew up as a caregiver, it was me trying to figure it out for myself. And the frustrating thing is never have I been with my husband in a medical center that has addressed or reached out in a caregiver capacity. Right. And so for me, I really didn't, I really haven't been in any of those groups or or kind of visited until maybe in the past three years.
0: Well, wait a minute. Hold on. Rewind that. So Mm -hmm. you just, I think you just said, I mean, you've been going to hospitals and doctor's appointments for 10 years. No one has
1: asked me how caregiving has been. Nobody has offered caregiver resources or kind of a caregiver kind of, Hey, this is what your life is going to be like and we've been in big, like famous medical centers. Like we haven't, it hasn't been like local in the middle of nowhere. Like these are cancer centers that we've been in that have not reached out in any way that has to do with caregiving. In fact, sometimes doctors will not even say, Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? You know, when I get that, we're an oncologist, their focus is my husband's cancer, but I think there's something to be said with just checking in because caregivers really feel unseen, like we're invisible, right? And so that starts, I know it started for me the first time I walked into a doctor's office with my husband when it came to talking about his cancer because there was never a check-in and really there has never been a check-in and we've had some really good doctors but they are are not addressing the caregiver issue. And and so if you see that doctors aren't addressing you, um, sometimes there have been doctors that have kind of looked at my involvement as a hindrance when I'm like, dude, I'm the one who's keeping him alive like all the days of the year, except for the one hour that we're here twice a year, right? Caregivers are partners. They should be partners in the care of the person when it comes to the team that 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 person has. Caregivers actually should have their own team, to tell you the truth. But until we become important enough, right, for it to, to be considered, it's going to be that way. So seeing that, like feeling like My caregiving was, was not important in the eyes of the people taking care of my husband growing up as a caregiver in those early years, not really having a connection with other caregivers because those groups didn't really exist is why, when I finally got to a place where, where I thought, well, how can I change that? That's where the podcast came from and everything after that. It was solely so that other caregivers could know look, you are not alone. You feel alone. Caregiving is lonely because of these things, but you are not alone. And the things that you're thinking, saying in your head and doing are not just you, you are, you are not wrong. Should not feel guilty for feeling these things. And I want to tell you this because no one told me and I had to figure it out for myself. So it's basically, I want people to be like, all right, here's, here's what I had to go through. Here's how I had to learn all these things. I don't want you to have, let's jump forward closer to you just being, you know what, I'm good. Like I can think these things and I'm all right. There's no, I don't have to be overwhelmed with worry because I know how to breathe. You know, those things that I had to learn on my own, you know, so that they don't have to kind of take all the time that I did stumbling through trying to figure it out.
0: Talk about your podcast. Talk about that. When did you decide to start it? How, what's the reception been like? Um, not just started- the podcast, but I mean like the people and the audience and all that, because yeah. I, I mean, that's such an awesome thing that you're doing specifically for caregivers and what a wealth of knowledge and experience you can bring.
1: So I originally um, in 2019, late 2018, but I'm just going to do these little short videos and, um, just talking to the camera and putting it up on Facebook, just so that people can see, you know, in just like a quick 30 seconds, um, that they're not alone. And I had a whole list of things that I was going to talk about. And then I, I talked to someone and they said, that sounds like a podcast because (laughs) short form video wasn't a thing back then. (laughs) So (laughs) I was ahead of my time. And so I went the podcast route and I'm kind of happy that I did because I could, I could say more. I wasn't constrained by the attention span of someone watching a video. Um, And in the beginning, it was great because I, I started it February before everything shut down. And so that is the one thing that stayed consistent through that whole entire time was I have to do another podcast. Like, Oh no, it's Tuesday. My podcast needs to be done by Thursday. So I can, you know, it was always something that was, that was, that could keep me, I had to be accountable for. Um, And I don't know, it was weird because I don't know why, because it's not like anyone would be like, well, you're being, I'm dinging you because you, you didn't post a podcast this week. You know, I, so it was like this internal thing and it was really just the drive to create something that someone could listen to that I wanted to hear right? That I needed to hear when I first became a caregiver, that I needed to hear three years after becoming a caregiver. Um, I just wanted to let other caregivers know, these are the things that we all feel and we all think about and we all are scared of. And it's, and it's fine. And I'm going to say them, even though the fear of judgment is, is real, right? For all of us but I'm just going to be real and I'm going to be vulnerable and, and slightly uncomfortable, just telling the world these things. And hopefully someone will listen and hopefully it'll help. And so I've, especially in the beginning, I've had people reach out and just say, you know, I, I just became a caregiver. My friend told me to listen to your podcast. I decided to listen to it when I took a walk today and I couldn't fully continue. I couldn't finish my walk because I had to stop and cry so many times. I just turned around and went back home because you were me. You were saying the things that I was going through. And so it's, it's that, that's why the podcast exists. And, and also so that I can help people in small bits and pieces kind of see that there's more and, and giving them that knowledge from the things that I'm, I'm best at, you know, yoga and meditation, like that, I've been teaching that for over a decade. Like those are skills that I shouldn't be keeping to myself, right? I should just be giving them to people so that they can try it for themselves. They know that it exists. So many people have I met and they're like, I didn't know about this stuff until I heard it from you. Um, So I think a lot of times we feel the things we know aren't important. Everybody knows them. But I think if every caregiver went out and like just posted on whatever social media they're on, I'm a caregiver. First of all, I'm a caregiver. Some people in your life might even know that. Um, And this is what I'm struggling with this week. Like just being able to just do that. It feels so much better than just trying to, to keep it to yourself. So the podcast was the first thing. The caregiver coaching came after that. And then there's some other new things that are happening next month that I'm excited about. So it's just me finding different ways to kind of connect in, in however that person needs to be connected with. Not everybody likes to listen. Some people need to read. Some people need to have that connection with a person. So just being available in ways that I can do things best um, to help people kind of find their way because caregiving is, um, you know, it's not valued. So if you're doing something that's not valued, you have to work harder to make it important in your life.
0: Charlotte, well, thank you so much for the time today and all of the wisdom and insight that you've shared. Are there any, I mean, I, I, look, we could talk for another <laughs> hour and a half. I know we could because there were topics I didn't get to. So maybe we'll do this again <laughs> in a while. Um, what, what questions did I not ask that I should have?
1: No, I think you asked the important things, you know, um, basically just know that if you're a caregiver, you're important. People need to be there to help you ask for the help that you need, create your own team, even if you have to piece it together yourself. And you need to make yourself a priority because if you don't, then you won't be available to caregive as long as you'd like to for the person that you love and just spend time with them, enjoy them. Yeah.
0: Charlotte, how do people find you on the internet?
1: Um, they can go to loveyourcaregivinglife.com um, and it's the same Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. It's loveyourcaregivinglife. Uh, that is the best way to find me.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it.
0: Be sure to connect with Charlotte at CharlotteByala.com and make sure to check out her podcast, Love Your Caregiving Life. You can find links to those as well as show notes and websites discussed during the show at themattferretshow.com. And of course, please subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I'd also really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the Matt Ferret Show YouTube channel, which you can get to through themattferretshow.com or just by searching for it on YouTube. Until next time, to your wealth, wisdom, and wellness, I'm Matt Ferrett, and thanks for tuning in. The Matt Ferrett Show, related content, publications, and MF Media LLC is in no way associated, endorsed, or authorized by any governmental agency, including the Social Security Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Matt Ferret Show is in no way associated with, authorized, approved, endorsed, nor in any way affiliated with any company, trademark names, or other marks mentioned or referenced in or on The Matt Ferret Show. Any such mention is for purpose of reference only. Any advice, generalized statistics, or opinions expressed are strictly those of the host and guests of The Matt Ferret Show. Although every effort has been made to ensure the contents of The Matt Ferret Show and related content are correct and complete, Laws and regulations change quickly and often. The ideas and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show aren't meant to replace the sage advice of healthcare, insurance, financial planning, accounting, or legal professionals. You are responsible for your financial decisions. It is your sole responsibility to independently evaluate the accuracy, correctness, or completeness of the content, services, and products of, and associated with, The Matt Ferret Show, MF Media LLC and any related content or publications. The thoughts and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show are those of the host and The Matt Ferret Show guests only, and are not the thoughts and opinions of any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show, nor is The Matt Ferret Show made by, on behalf of, or endorsed or approved by any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show.